ahead and turn your Bibles over to 1 Peter chapter 1. Going to be talking about preparing your mind. You know, in so many areas of life, there's times that you face a mental challenge, a mental test. Sometimes as students, we call them midterms, finals, maybe an SAT, ACT, CBEST. Maybe you've got a board exam or there's a certification at work. Even for business interviews, if you're going to do a good job, you've got to prepare your mind before you go in there. I know just recently, Kevin and Kelly Bloomfield started leading the singles ministry. And it's been exciting to see their vision for the singles and hear all their, their plans and their, their love for that group. And uh, working with them, making preparations, you know, learning how to lead a Bible talk, uh, to lead that discussion involves mental preparation. And it's just fun uh, to be a part of that transition and being inspired by the Bloomfields. I know the singles ministry is going to do great things. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it says, now, actually it says, therefore, but I just want to give you a brief intro. It's talking about how amazing the Christian life is and what God has given us and all the blessings that are there. Then he says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter says that you must do the hard work of preparing your mind for action. That sometimes people go, yeah, but you know, if everybody just follows the same scriptures, you're going to become brainless robots and there won't be any creativity. I can assure you that will never be our challenge. I mean, yeah, look around. We're all so much alike. Being a brainless robot is far down the problem scale. What Peter says is way up high is lack of mental energy, lack of mental preparation. It is very difficult to live the Christian life. And without purpose, without planning, you're not just going to just so happen to do Christian things every day. It must be purposeful, and it starts in the mind. Yeah, lately been doing some tutoring in math and chemistry, and I, I like to tutor. My son Michael is now uh, in his final year of actuarial science up in uh, UCSB. He's now reached a point mathematically where I have no clue what he's doing. It took a long time for him to get there. Uh, but now it's like, I can't help you. I can, only, I can just only pray for you. But actuarial science is high-level statistics, you know, life and death rates and insurance and investments and that kind of stuff. And so you have to pass these exams that require a lot of preparation. And so he took his 
They call it the P exam, probability. He took it in January. And unfortunately, he did not pass, but that's okay. He's in the majority there. It has Each one of these exams he has to take has about a 35% pass rate. And so most actuaries had to take one of these exams like three times. And there's only, you know, between eight and ten of these exams that you have to pass to achieve the full thing. Well, so then he, he had prepared, but then he bought some special software and did more preparation. Really exciting, right before spring break. He took the exam again. And uh, last time he ran out of time. This time he finished 30 minutes early for a three-hour exam and passed. And so he was fired up. He, he passed his first exam, and I was, I was thrilled for him. You know, you have these talks later, and he said, Dad, you know, uh, the Society of Actuaries say it takes 300 hours of exam preparation for one exam. 300 I said, man, that's a lot of preparation. They said, yeah, that's the average preparation. There you go. Puts in all that prep time to do what? To pass one exam. So what if you were to total up how many hours of Christian mental preparation you have put in? In the last month, in the last six months, in the last year. You know, it's not job-related. It's salvation-related. And yet, too often, if it's a job interview or a certification, or, you know, there's something that we just feel like I've got to achieve, we can spend hundreds of hours prepping, and yet the thing that matters most in life, our salvation, too often to our shame, We put minimal or no mental preparation into it. You know, and that is a challenge we face. Our minds are distracted. Our minds are pulled in a thousand different directions. We got a lot going on, a lot to think about. And that's why Peter tells you and he tells me, therefore, prepare your mind for action. We're going to talk about three things today. Take it, turn it, and train it. We're going to see what the Bible says about preparing your mind for action. All right, go over to Ephesians chapter 6. It's talking about the armor of God and the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith and all those things. And it's inspiring. And then in halfway through verse 18, Paul says this. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. You know, Paul's saying you can have all of the armor of God on correctly and in place, but if you are out of it mentally, it's not going to do you any good. I mean, can you think of a time where you are out of it mentally? I remember I, I was a good student in, in college, and I, I prided myself on being well prepared for exams. And I remember uh, it was calculus three, a vector, vector calculus, and I remember I took it as a summer class. And I'm in this class, and it's the final exam, three-hour final. And I remember knowing my stuff, 
and walking in, it was a warm summer day, and at the University of Iowa, they didn't have air conditioning, at least in the buildings that I had, so it was hot and it was humid. So I sat next to a window, so there'd be this gentle blowing breeze. And I remember, you know, the exam starts, the professor gives it to you, and I get my, you know, my eraser and my pencil, and, I, you know, and, and I start work. And I kid you not, about 30 minutes into the exam, I realized that for the last half hour, I've been staring out the window, noticing how beautiful the trees are, and that there's birds there, and I was, I was playing with my eraser. You know the little white ones, the magic ones that you can use and they don't tear the paper? Yeah, those are awesome. And I was kind of bouncing it on, the, on my desk. This in the middle of my final. And I don't know what it was that got my attention, but all of a sudden I like looked at the clock. And I thought... You know what, I'm 30 minutes into a final exam. I've attended class. I've done homework. I've done my midterms, and I'm ready to go. But I am just sitting here looking out the window, spacing out, doing nothing. i got to pull it together. What, what is my problem? But fortunately, in the remaining two and a half hours, I was able to finish the final exam and, and, and do well on it. But... You know, life kind of has those moments where it is very clear you ought to be paying attention. Like if your wife or your husband is upset with you and expressing themselves to you. That's one of those clear times that you ought to pay attention. That it doesn't matter what sporting event is on TV right behind You know, if we were to take a poll about your situation and say, should the husband give good eye contact and give full mental preparation and attention to this? All of us would go, yep. If he doesn't, it's not going to go well. And yet, how many times can you be in that talk and you find yourself thinking of other things? Like there's times you can even know, okay, this conversation may be rough, so I need to be humble. I'm going to watch myself. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be kind. And then you find yourself in that talk, and you're just spacing out, doing nothing. You know, later you go, what was I thinking? What was my problem? Paul says, be alert. All the best preparation in the world doesn't do you any good. If you're not paying attention, you know, people die in car wrecks every day because they weren't alert. They weren't paying attention. And we're talking about salvation. Yeah, we got a lot of law enforcement men and women in the congregation, and that's awesome. It makes makes me feel safe. But I, I, love, I love having counseling appointments with law enforcement, especially when you're in, like, public places. Because they're always checking out the situation. They're watching the other people at Starbucks. Are there any threats? Is there anything I need to be aware of? 
They're studying you right now. But it makes me feel safe. You know why? Because they're aware of what's going on. I can promise you this. They may not have gone to their academy being aware. But it got trained into them really fast. Because it's a life or death situation in every case. And they must be alert. Yeah, I love the outdoors. I love camping, I love backpacking, canoeing, all those kind of things. But there, there are two people that I've had the pleasure of being friends with through the years that are what I call true outdoorsmen. One of them is Kevin Robbins. He and his wife are ministry leaders up in Toronto. Kevin grew up in a, a log cabin, did not have running water, did not have electricity in northern Ontario. He would hunt for dinner. He would take trips for days or weeks on end that have nothing but his rifle and his knife and he would go and survive. And then the other one is Abel Aguilar. And some of you may know Abel, but he grew up in the, in the Mexican desert. And he would go out as a teen for like two or three weeks and just survive in the desert on his own. He would have no resources. And so when you go to the outdoors with them, they would see things that I would never have caught. They would see animals. They would see certain details of plants and certain situations, and they would know what to look out for. And I thought, you know, I spent a lot of hours in the outdoors. I'm fairly experienced. But when I'm around them, it was just kind of a pleasure to, to watch and be trained and learn. And you just see what they notice, and they'd see some slight movement, and they'd go, look. There's, there's, there's a hawk up in the tree, and they go, oh, I never even saw that. Or, the, you know, they notice some tracks on the ground. You know, I think about uh, my brother Mike when it comes to business and negotiation. He's alert. And sometimes, unfortunately, I find out how alert he is after the fact of a situation I had. And he'll go, well, why did you do it that way? Like, don't you see what that salesman was trying to do? You should have just told him this. Like, it's amazing to watch him negotiate stuff. I'm at, you know, I know that I will confront people, but I'm a conflict avoider. And so I don't like negotiation. Just tell me what it costs, and then I'll tell you if I want it or not. <laughs> don't give me the sales pitch. Don't, I don't want to haggle. I, no, I just want to know. Just give me your best price, and then I'll decide. That's it. Mike loves the negotiation. How his brain is, is trained. It's, it's awesome, and how he thinks. You know, I think his law degree uh, helped build on what was already in him. Uh, you know, I think about reading people. My wife is excellent at reading people. And I, I remember I, I would get frustrated with these abilities as a young man, and now I've grown to appreciate them because sometimes it was directed at me, but sometimes she'd have this feeling, this intangible sense of something that was going on, and I'd say, well, yeah, but honey, that's not logical, and here's the three reasons why that doesn't make any sense, 
and, you know, I would call her to substantiate this feeling that she had. And when she couldn't, I would feel safe. If you can't substantiate it, it can't be true. And then I would find out she's right. And most of the time she's right. And so I've grown to appreciate it. The skill that's there and then also our, our, our dog that we had, Hash Brown. Hash Brown had relational skills. You could have a group of ten people in our house and Hash Brown would go and sit on the lap of the person that had some emotional thing going on in their life. And it took us a while to kind of realize this. I, I kid you not. He'd go and sit on somebody's lap in a group. And you might be there for somebody's Bible study and he'd go and sit on somebody else's lap. And it got to the point where we'd go, all right, What's going on? He'd be like, what? It's like, Hash Brown's sitting in your lap. What's going on? And I, I, there was never a situation where there wasn't something big emotional that was going on. I don't know how Hash Brown knew, but, you know, Hash Brown liked to pray and be a part of the Bible studies and was a very skilled dog. We miss Hash Brown. Your life is on the line. Are you foggy about what's going on in your spiritual life? Are you aware? Are you vigilant? Are you attentive? Do you know what's going on? Have, have you done the hard work mentally to put yourself in a great situation? You know, if, if we're going to be victorious, if we're going to prepare our mind, we must take that thought. You say, what do you mean by that? Go to 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10. Verse 5. Paul says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So what does Paul say about our thought life? He says that every thought we have, we take it captive and we make it obedient to Christ. So there's a process that goes on. He's not saying that you never have like one crazy thought. He's saying, but no, but when you have the crazy thought, now what do you do with it? Do you take it captive and make it obedient? Or do you mull it over and entertain it and succumb to it and ponder it? You know, it's kind of like in the battle for purity. Pretty lady or handsome guy walks in front of you. You don't really have control over the fact that they walked in front of you. But what you do have a choice in after that is how you respond to it. Crazy thought comes into your head. You don't have control over where the thought came into your brain. But Paul says you can take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. You say, why is this so crucial if we're going to be victorious? Because if we believe that we're a victim of our thought life, we will never obey this verse. 
and we will excuse away a whole lot of bad behavior. In the name of, hey, what am I supposed to do? I can't control my thoughts. Paul says, yes, you can. He says, you take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Say, is that the standard that you operate with? Do not let yourself off the hook. We have to believe what God's word says and then live every day accordingly. So crazy thought comes in, we take it captive, we make it obedient to Christ. So it's possible. God's given us what we need. So we got to be alert. See, when you're alert, you're looking for the crazy thoughts so you can engage them and take them captive and make it obedient to Christ. You ever had like crazy thoughts, and but you didn't realize they were crazy until you talked to somebody else and they looked at you? Uh-huh. said, well, I have another take on it. But don't you see? Well, I understand what you're saying, but I have a different perspective. You know, awareness, being alert, is the first battle point to being victorious in our mind. We've got to take it. We've got to take every thought captive. We've got to be alert so we can make it obedient to Christ. Then, number two, and that's a part of making it obedient. Point number two, got to turn it. The thought's there. we got to turn our mind towards something else. Go over to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4. Well, a lot of crazy thoughts come out of feeling guilty. Feeling condemned, feeling like a failure, feeling accused. Now, if you're messing up, there's a good reason you feel that way. Because you are guilty. And if you repent of the behavior, then you can go down a different path. But there's a lot of feelings that we have. Depending on how we were raised, what the authority was like in our life. How we're viewed now? Am I respected? Am I not respected? And so we got all these feelings that can lead us down a crazy path. And in Hebrews chapter 4, that was a cute sneeze right there, by the way. It was awesome. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. but We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know who sorts out the craziness? God. And we can recognize that we got something going on. We go, oh, I got this thought in my, my brain and it's driving me nuts. 
But then what do we do? Sometimes we go, well, let's go to the bookstore and find the best seller on how to deal with this. Sometimes we think, I'm just going to stew over it. Sometimes we think, I'll just ignore it. It'll go away. The Bible says, no. You know, when, when we're, we're in a crazy place, there's one place we need to get to. And it's the throne room. It's God. And you can dump all the craziness on Him. You can tell Him how you feel. You can tell Him what you're thinking. You can tell Him why you're thinking it. You're not going to get judged for the crazy thought. You're going to find understanding. You're going to find compassion. You're going to find grace. And you're going to find mercy. Isn't that what we need? Most of the crazy thoughts that I have, I already know what the right answer is. The problem is not the theory. It's the emotions that I'm feeling in the moment and I need to tell somebody about it. And then you you talk to God. And it just kind of has a way of diffusing. But we lived up, we live in a really amped up society. We feel things passionately. We feel things strongly. Bob says, hey, take that thought captive and then turn it. Paul talks about this over in Philippians chapter 4. It's a famous passage on dealing with anxiety. Philippians chapter 4, he says in verse 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything. You know, anxious is something going on in the mind. Now, it will affect your body. But it's a mental issue. You're worried. Your mind's cycling. You're going through stuff. And it says just what Hebrews 4 said. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition... With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know what this means? The farther we get from God, the less peace we're going to have. And don't you know that the last thing Satan wants you to do is spend time with God? He doesn't want you to study His Word. He doesn't want you praying. He doesn't want you getting spiritual input in your life. He'll let you accomplish a million other things. As long as He can keep you out of the throne room of God. The peace of God. Sounds a whole lot like mercy, grace. The same general feeling. So where do we find that? With God. So if we're going to turn it, it's going to happen in one place, in the throne room of God. That means we must pray. We must read His Word. You say, it's hard work. I'm not good at it. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be good at it to do it. We say, well, I, I'm, I'm too busy. I don't have time. 
That's like saying, okay, I would like no mercy, I would like no grace, and I would like no peace of mind. Why? Because I'm too busy. Well, that's really good thinking, isn't it? You know, the preacher just taught me how to be more stressed out, more harsh, and no grace. How do you put that one into practice? Just leave here and do nothing spiritual. See, that's not what any of us want. We're going to turn it. It's going to happen in the throne room. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes hard work. There's days where you're not going to feel connected. But that's okay. You keep talking. You keep praying. And you keep studying. And you will turn it in the throne room. And then third thing is you got to train it. So you get to the point where God settles down your mind and you can think clearly again. And you've got that peace. And you've got that mercy. And you've got that grace. You go, okay, so... All right, I feel better, but now I've got to go re-engage life again. So now what do I do? Well, you've got to train it. You've got to train your thinking. Go over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1 and 2. Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Paul tells us the same thing. Make a choice. Make a choice what you're going to think about. Set your mind and heart on things above. Choose to think about heavenly things. You know, one of the best practicals on that, because we spend a lot of time in L.A. driving. Just turn the radio off. And pray. You think about how many hours a week would you gain in thoughtful meditation and prayer? Sometimes just turn the TV off. Sometimes turn the phone off. Turn the computer off. Turn off anything that's distracting you away from setting your mind on things above. But you see how this works? Okay, I'm going to set my mind on things above and then your phone vibrates. Oh, I'm sure that's really important because I'm an important person. If they want to get hold of me, it's probably a a life-threatening situation that needs my immediate response. They're like, oh, no, 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 I'll deal with that later, but I'm going to pray. Yeah, but I wonder what it says. What if it's an emergency? What if somebody needs to talk to me right now? You know, maybe it's about work. Maybe I'm going to get a promotion. Maybe I won an award and I need to know. And you're sitting there and you're trying to think on what's above. And all you can think about is, I just got an email. You know, maybe it makes the noise. Da-ding. And you're praying and your phone's in the other room, but you hear it. Da-ding. Just turn it off. 
you need God, then you'll be able to help whatever the ding is. Without God, you're not going to do a good job anyway. So do that person a favor. Connect with God. You'll be able to help him more. But set your mind on things above. It's a choice. You're not a victim. You've got the ability to choose what you're going to focus on. You know, I just made a quick list. There's the idea of meditation. And meditation is where you think about something repeatedly. You kind of mull it over. Maybe it's like a concept, you know, or a verse or something like that. And you think about it. And what does this mean? And what does this mean for me? And, and you're just kind of pondering. The, the, the concept is the same as a cow chewing its cud. Now, I don't remember how many stomachs a cow has. Four? Three? I hear different answers. They got a bunch. But all I know is they kind of eat stuff partially. And swallow it. And then a little bit later, they bring it back up and they, they, they chew it again. A little different experience the second time. And they do it again. Come on, some of you old timers, you know that, that song, Does Your Chewing Gum Lose Its Flavor on the Bedpost Overnight? That's gross. Like gum was so rare, you'd stick it to a bedpost and then chew it the next day. And it was a popular song. But so a cow, it digests this. And the idea of meditation is we read something, we take this concept, and then we, we, we chew on it mentally. But then, then we, we bring it up again and we chew on it some more and we think about it. We're not good at meditating. Now, we actually are, but we don't call it that. Worrying is meditation. So if you, if you know how to worry, then you've got meditation down. You're just like bringing up the wrong thing, chewing on it. Because you go, oh, I'm no good at meditation. Well, if you worry, go, okay, I actually am good at it. Now I just got to focus what I'm going to do. But I made a list from the Psalms just really quick about things that we're told to meditate on. Psalm 48, we're told to meditate on his unfailing love. That no matter what we do, God will never let us down. He will love us in our best and our worst moments. That's an awesome thing to think about. Psalm 77, we're told to meditate on his mighty deeds. You think about the miracles that God has accomplished. Think about the parting of the Red Sea. You think about the walls of Jericho. You think about feeding with manna. You think about raising his son from the dead. And you just, you know, you get in those life situations, you just start pondering all the miracles of what God has done. Psalm 119, we're, we're told to meditate on his commands, his principles. His promises. Man, those are awesome. You think about what we're commanded to do. Or spiritual principles of living that are in His Word. Or promises that He makes. Then in Psalm 145, we're told to meditate on His creation. You want to meditate? 
Just go for a walk outdoors and just look around and be impressed. Just don't do it in the middle of a vector calf final. I wish I could say I was meditating on God through his creation. I was actually just spacing off in the middle of a final. But it says, you go, well, what, what do I think about? Those are just some of the things the Psalms tell us. Man, we need to mull those concepts over and over and over and over so it dominates our thinking. Because it trains us what to think about. And I want to close out where we started in 1 Peter chapter 1. The Christian life's amazing. And the battle starts in our thought life, and we need to go after it. And we started 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. And he says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. He's telling this to you. When you leave here, right here, right now, be mentally prepared. Do the hard work. Make it intentional with what you're going to think about. You've got to take it. You've got to turn it. You've got to train it. It says, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient Children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. You know, he says, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. When your thinking was askew. He says, don't conform to those desires. That word conform, it's like a mold. You know... When, when you have a mold and you pour whatever the material is into it, the material just forms to whatever shape the mold makes it into. Worldly, sinful thinking will mold you and your life into a certain shape. It's not a great shape. Nobody likes that shape. But it will mold you. Well, Peter says, hey, change your thoughts. Get your mind prepared for action so the molding will still occur. But what will be produced is a life of holiness. Prepare your mind. It's life or death spiritually of what we face. It's the single most important thing about your life. And I pray that each one of us do the hard work, that we'll prepare our mind for action. We'll take those thoughts, we'll hold them captive, and we will make it obedient to Christ. We'll turn it. We'll get into the throne room, and we'll work it out with God. And we'll stay there until that peace, that mercy, and that grace calms us and gets us in a different frame of mind. And then finally, we'll train it. We're going to think about what's right. We're going to set our mind on things above. We're going to meditate. We're going to chew on the right things. We're not going to worry. We're going to meditate on God and His unfailing love, His miracles, His commands, His promises, and His creation. We do these things, and our mind will mold us into holy living. Let's put these things into practice as we prepare our mind for action. Amen. Let's stand. We'll close in a final song.